standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Father, I come before your throne of grace with a special petition now. I ask that you will touch my lips with a call from off your altar that I may present your thoughts here today through my words and my tone of voice and my body language. I petition you in the name of Jesus to send your spirit to those listening and watching that they may have ears to hear and eyes to see the proof of your love to each one of us. I pray that you will send angels that excel in strength to push the devil and his angels away from those listening and watching, that they may hear your voice speaking to their hearts. Father, give us a right and true understanding of your love. This I ask in the name, character, and authority of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Love is intangible. Love is like faith. It cannot be seen, smelled, touched, heard, or tasted. Before I talk about God's love and the proof of God's love, I want to compare it to faith and works. I want to make this comparison to help show why I'm focusing not on God's love, but on the proof of that love. We like to separate faith and works as two different things, but they really are the same core thing. In other words, works are the outworking of faith. Works are the manifestation of faith, the revelation of faith, the proof of faith. Faith describes that which is on the inside and is intangible. Works describe that which is on the outside and tangible. Works are the outward, visible aspect of the faith that is inside. James said in chapter 2, verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. And in verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. In other words, if you don't have works, then you don't have faith. Works are the proof of faith. How do you know if someone loves you? They show it. Without the revealing or manifestation or tangible proof of that love, then there really isn't love. I'm going to present three points. Number one, the revelation or proof of God's love. Two, why the revelation of that love matters to us. And three, how and why the devil is trying his absolute best to diminish, distort, or even completely hide the revelation of God's love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible, in part because it is the gospel in a nutshell. The central focus of the verse is threefold. The love of God, proof of that love, and who is the benefactor of that love. We are the benefactors of that love, but I don't want to focus on us. I want to focus on the love of God. But remember that love is like faith. It cannot be seen outside of the proof or evidence. Without the proof, the love of God is only theory. So I want to focus on the proof of God's love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. So for the devil to destroy God's love would be to destroy God. This is not possible. So the devil is focusing his attack on the revelation of God's love. 
God wants to reveal that love, and the devil is doing everything in his power to destroy that revelation. Why? 1 John 4.19 answers that question, and it says, We love him because he first loved us. In other words, our love to God is a response to our understanding of his love for us. Why do I say understanding? Because there are many people out there that don't love God, but does that mean that God doesn't love them? No, it means they don't understand God's love for them. When we understand God's love, then we respond in like manner. If we understand God to love us only one inch, then we can only love him back one inch. But if we understand his love to be a hundred miles, then we will love him back 100 miles worth. It behooves us to not just theorize God's love, but to examine the proof of his love. What is it that the devil wants to destroy? The proof of God's love. What is the proof of God's love? 1 John 4 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. All too often, we will read a verse and totally miss what it just said. The reason this happens is because we have taken man's definition and inserted it into the verse. I want to draw out what verse 9 is saying, but I don't want to do it in such a way that I'm giving you the definition. I want you to see it for yourself. The way I'm going to do this is I'm going to give a simple statement, then ask a couple of questions based on that statement. Here is the statement. I sent my car to the mechanic. That was pretty simple, wasn't it? I sent my car to the mechanic. Based on that statement, did the car become mine after it got to the mechanic? I sent my car to the mechanic. The answer is no. The car was clearly mine before it got to the mechanic. That much is very clear. The next question is, when did the car become mine? Well, we don't know because the statement doesn't say when the car became mine. With this in mind, let's read 1 John 4, 9 again. That God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Did Jesus become the Son of God after he was born on earth? No. He was the Son before he came to this world. That is crystal clear. Remember, this is the revelation or proof of God's love that he sent his only begotten Son into the world. So then, when did he become the Son? Let's look at Micah 5, 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel. I'm going to stop here for a moment. Who is this verse speaking of? Jesus. The first part of this verse, which I just read, is talking about his birth on earth. Lest people be confused and think that may have been the beginning of God's Son, the statement contrasts it with letting us know that Jesus pre-existed his birth on earth, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This is another one of those verses that we often misunderstand because we put man's definitions into it. The Greek for 
goings forth literally means origin. And from everlasting means from the days of eternity, or you could say eternity past. This verse literally says Jesus' origin was in eternity past. It does not say he has always been through all eternity. It says he had an origin, and it was sometime in eternity past, so far back that we couldn't comprehend it. Micah 5.2 contrasts Jesus' beginnings on earth with his beginnings in heaven. The proof of God's love is that he had a son to send. So how is the devil attacking the proof of God's love? We see the answer in 1 John 2.22. God says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Who is the Antichrist power? The papacy. Does the papacy claim to deny Jehovah and Jesus? No. In fact, they add others in there for good measure, right? We know that they do deny them in reality, but they publicly proclaim Jehovah and Jesus. The way they publicly deny the Father and Son is they publicly proclaim that Jesus is not actually the Son of God. They publicly deny the Father and Son relationship. This verse does not say they deny Jehovah and Jesus. It uses the words Father and Son for a reason. The Antichrist power and all of her daughters, I might add, attempt to destroy the very proof of God's love to a dying world. Remember that love without proof is only a theory, intangible. They want to take away the tangible proof of God's love. When they say that Jesus being the Son of God was only a role play, then they're saying that the tangible proof of God's love was only a role play. Which means they're saying God's love is only a role play. Do you know what the definition of a hypocrite is? An actor. Someone who plays a role. They are saying God is a hypocrite. Follow me here. God is love. And if God is a hypocrite, then his love would be hypocritical. And the proof of that love would be hypocritical. A role play. The reason I'm using the word hypocrite is not to be harsh or condemning. No, I'm using it because it means the same thing as role play. These two words are completely interchangeable. Some people have gotten so comfortable with the phrase role play that they think it's acceptable. But it is not acceptable. When you hear someone say the father and son are role-playing, they're really saying they are hypocrites. Think about that. I want to try to drive this point home as, as pointedly and as gently as I can. The best way I know how to do this is to insert this definition into a verse so we can see just where this thinking actually leads. 1 John 4.15 Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Put your thinking caps on, and let's put the Antichrist definitions into this verse. But before we do, I want to go over the role-play concept again, so follow me. The Son of God is a role-play, or hypocrite. Therefore, the proof of God's love is a role-play, or hypocrisy, which means God's love is a role-play, or 
hypocrisy. And since God is love and his love is hypocrisy, then God is hypocrisy. So let's put that definition into this verse and see what it says. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is a hypocrite, then hypocrisy dwelleth in him, and he in hypocrisy. Does so-called Christianity have a problem with hypocrisy in their lives today? Yes. Most of Christianity goes to church with their best clothes on and a put-together family. But when they go home, they live like the devil. This is the definition of hypocrite. They role-play as Christians. Why? Because they have allowed the devil to destroy God's proof of his love by redefining it as a role-play. Why is the devil trying to destroy Jesus being the Son of God and make it a role-play or hypocrisy? 1 John 5, 5 answers that when it says, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? By beholding, you become changed. So if Jesus is only role-playing as the Son of God, then he is a hypocrite. And when you believe a hypocrisy, then you are not going to overcome the world. If we don't overcome the world, then we are right where the devil wants us, in his hands. Brothers and sisters, this is why the devil is so desperately trying to destroy the proof of God's love, God sending his son into this world. And this is why God is trying to reveal the proof of his love to us, sending his son into this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants us to overcome the world and have everlasting life, and it all hinges on Jesus being the Son of God. Anyone who knows me knows I really push the importance of definitions. God uses his word to express thoughts to us. But if we define a word differently than it was actually used, then we change the very thought that God is trying to convey. What I like to do sometimes is take man's definitions and insert them into the Bible to actually show how the thought is changed like the phrase role-play. We hear it so much that we don't always think about what the implications really are. So I like to insert it into verses and show how it alters the thoughts of God, like what I did earlier. Now, I would like to take the Antichrist definition of God and do the same thing. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you see the colon, then you know the definition is about to follow. The definition of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anywhere we see the word God, we can insert its definition. So let's insert that definition in a couple of verses and see just what happens. Let's start with James chapter 1 and verse 13. God cannot be tempted with evil. The definition of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's put that definition in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot be tempted. I'm not focusing on the Father or the Holy Spirit right now. I'm focusing on Jesus. So this verse with the Antichrist definition says that Jesus cannot be tempted. This is actually what the Antichrist power and her daughters teach. What does that mean? Let's look at Hebrews 2.18 to see where that thought process goes. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Who is this verse speaking of? Jesus. With the Antichrist definition of God, we see that Jesus can't be tempted, which means that his temptations were simply a role play, which means he was not truly tempted. 
in all points like as we, Hebrews 4.15, which means he is not truly able to secure us. What does that mean? We cannot overcome the world. This brings us back full round to 1 John 5.5 again. This is a pretty serious error. So now let's insert the Antichrist definition of God into another verse and see what we get. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. We can see pretty clearly this verse is not talking about Jesus because people have seen him. But let's apply the definition of the Antichrist here and see what happens. This verse is speaking of God, and the definition of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus would have absolute immortality if we read it with their definition in it. What does that mean? Jesus didn't truly die on the cross. The Antichrist and her daughters actually teach this. They say it was only a human sacrifice. If Jesus didn't truly die on the cross, then we have no sacrifice. If we have no sacrifice, then we are left to die in our sins. There is no way to overcome the world. Yet again, we're back to 1 John 5, 5. Brothers and sisters, everything hinges on Jesus being the Son of God. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? And 1 John 4, 15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. If Jesus is not the Son of God, then we do not have God dwelling in us, and we cannot overcome the world because Jesus didn't truly die on the cross, and he wasn't truly tempted and cannot truly succor us. And this is why we cannot have life through him if he is not truly the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, this is why the devil is trying to destroy the proof of God's love, that Jesus is the Son of God, and this is why God wants to reveal his love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you want everlasting life? God wants to make his love for you tangible through his Son. There is a story illustration that some of you may be familiar with, and if so, I, I hope it will mean even more now. The story illustration goes something like this. There was a man that operated a vertical lift bridge for trains, and underneath the bridge was a water passage for ships. The bridge would stay in the up position so ships could pass freely underneath, but it would be lowered at certain times so the trains could safely cross the waterway below. The bridge operator knew the train schedule and would lower the bridge based on the schedule, but just in case he forgot, the trains would blow their whistle at a certain point as they approached, knowing that the operator would hear it and have just enough time to get to the bridge lower it into position so the train could safely pass over. Now this man wanted to spend some time with his son, 
So he brought him to work with him one day. They were having a great time together, sitting on the edge of the track, overlooking the water while they talked and watched the ships pass by. As they watched the ships pass by, he hadn't noticed the time passing by just as quickly. As a great surprise to him, he heard the blowing of a train whistle in the distance. The blood drained from his face as he began to, as his heart began to pound. The blood drained from his face as his heart began to pound as he looked at his watch and realized that time had slipped by and he only had moments to get to the control house and lower the bridge. He knew that if he didn't get to the switch in time that many people would die. So he scrambled to his feet and ran with all his might. He made it to the control house in time, but when he turned his head to visually check the bridge to make sure all was ready for him to lower it, he realized that his son had fallen into the huge bridge gears. There was not enough time to save his son and all the people on the train. He was faced with a decision no parent ever wants to face. Save his son and allow the train and all the people to careen into their watery graves below, or save the people at the cost of his son's life. In the moment of hesitation, he heard his son calling out to him, Father, save the people, lower the bridge. He knew what must be done. He lowered the bridge. The bridge lowered into position mere seconds before the train got to it. As the train raced by, the father looked into the windows at the people inside who were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, not knowing what just happened. With tears streaming down his face, he cries out, I gave my son for you, and you don't even know it. The people on the train did not know of the manifestation of love that was made for them. God wants each one of us to know and understand His true love for us. So He gave His actual Son to truly die for us. Can you hear Jesus whispering in your ear, I want you to know my Father's love for you. Can you feel Jesus' arms around you as He reminds you of Romans 8.32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus wants you to see him on your cross when he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At Jesus' mock trial, the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answered, Thou hast said. Knowing they would kill him for the truth, Jesus now asks you, Will you accept me as the Son of God? Will you accept this truth? I ask that you kneel before the Father of Jesus, the God of heaven, and tell him your decision now as we pray. Father, we see from your true and holy word that you had a son and that you gave him for us. Jesus risked everything for me.
for he truly was tempted and he truly did die on that cross. Father, as we, we begin to realize that this wasn't a role play, that Jesus could have sinned, which means he would have been eternally destroyed because the wages of sin is death. Our hearts are drawn to you and your son in a way like never before. Father, I implore you to help us better understand the true risk that was taken. Help us to better understand why it was a struggle even for you to give your son. Help me to understand better the infinite price that was paid for me. Father, there are those out there that have made a decision to accept Jesus as your actual son. Please help them by sending angels to watch over them and protect them. For the devil doesn't want this truth to change them, and he doesn't want them to teach this all-important foundational truth. I also lift up those that have not accepted your word for what it says about your son. I pray that you will draw them unto you through your son Jesus. I pray that you will continue to bear with them even as you have continued to bear with me. I pray that you will send your spirit to impress upon their minds that Jesus is your beloved son. I pray this in faith, knowing you will answer because it is your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions